0: Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I am your host. Joined as ever with my co-host, Andrew. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Good. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. (laughs) So today we've got one that you're not going to want to miss. We are doing our 80s apocalypse double feature. But Mm. before we dive into Miracle Mile and Night of the Comet... I just want to mention that we are available on every major podcast platform. We are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse some articles from topics that you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you would like from sports, science, to Bitcoin, and the Kardashians, and it will find the latest articles, then read them to you. They have podcasts as well from over 50 different countries. Our podcast called Film Companion is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M, Colt Film, drop the I, pop in a 1, and get a month-free premium subscription. We are also a featured podcast at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a DYI Creator Collective that have video casts and podcasts from around the world, from amazing creators, where the creators come first, and they are all about giving you quality content. So please check us out at Blind Knowledge and check out the rest of the creators there as well. Now it is time for your feature presentations. We have a double header here of two 80s apocalyptic movies Miracle Mile, and Night of the Comet, which are two very different takes on the apocalypse. And we're doing something a little bit different here. Since we're covering two movies, we're going to be focusing less on the specifics of the movies and more about why maybe the 80s were so preoccupied with the apocalypse, and also just about the movies in general and how they actually have a lot of similarities, although... They different wildly in terms of tone and content. So, Andrew, yes, Knight of the Comet, yeah, talk about it because well. you introduced me, reintroduced me to this movie. But um, this was a this was a big influence on you, and we're going to talk about how big of an influence <laughs> um, in terms of wanting to write your own movie.
1: Right, right. Uh, let's see some somewhere. In the years past, there was a seed in my mind about making an apocalypse movie uh, set in the 80s. Uh, actually, a movie, <laughs> an apocalyptic movie musical set in the 80s. And I got a kick out of the idea that everything that came after the 80s simply didn't happen, that it was all over then. Uh, that, that kind of stemmed from the idea that I had, which was... The 80s were kind of the last time we saw some real pop culture. And this is my opinion in my opinion only. And this is no offense to, uh, you know, the later generations that came after me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I did have someone who got really upset. He was like, oh, so basically he was, he was younger than I was. He was like, oh, so basically, you know, I didn't exist. (laughs) I was like, well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you want to attach that personally, I mean, if you want to get that personal about it.
0: But can we we honestly say at one point or another, some of us have just wished the 90s were erased?
1: Well, I don't even wish that so much. It's not that the 90s were so bad for me personally, but that, you know... I kind of attribute the end of pop culture as we knew it in the '80s coming to an end in the '90s with the on, onset of grunge and Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. They kind of really wiped the slate clean with all of that, and uh, flannel and jeans were back in. And I actually lived in Seattle for a while during that time, so I was a part of all of that, and I did trash all of the, uh, you know, all of my uh, aesthetic from the '80s. We, you know, that's kind of typical. After the, in the 80s, the 70s were not cool. In the 90s, the 80s were, you know, kind of cool in a retro kind of way. But uh, it's just, you know, in and Britney Spears did come along later and turn pop culture back into what it was, although it really wasn't. It was never the same. In the 80s, we had, especially with the bands, um, so much diversity going on, you know. We yeah, the mainstream had Madonna and Huey Lewis in the news, but the alternative scene had the Smiths, the Cure. Um, you know, I could go on and on. U two was kind of alternative before Depeche they became Mode. Depeche Mode. Thank you. Even even Duran Duran had a very uh, a very a, a very alternative aesthetic, even though they were mainstream. So, so I liked the idea. Um, a lot and someone I don't remember how I landed on Night of the Comet I think someone recommended it to me I was doing research I was trying to find movies from the 80s that dealt with this and I didn't I didn't know anything about Miracle Mile until until you brought it up just recently with me but Night of the Comet I did watch and I got a huge kick out of it I liked the the way it uh walked between comedy and outright horror you know and it could easily go in one direction or the other, but it it balanced it back and forth and back and forth. I got a big kick out of that, and I wrote a lot of... When I started writing the script for my project, um, I included elements like that in it.
0: Yeah, so Night of the Comet, we have everyone looking forward to this this big return of a comet, and people are talking about, oh, this is like the return of Haley's Comet, and there's comet-watching parties. and mm-hmm. But it, we also get a quick... I, and I didn't notice this the first time that I watched it, um, but we actually get a quick scene where we see scientists preparing something under in an underground lair where they have this kind of like it's very um, it's lit very ominously and yep. it looks like they're kind of preparing for the worst. And the worst does happen because the comet uh, essentially wipes everybody out that isn't wasn't in a place that was either secure. Well, it turns out the government facility wasn't secure. Right. Um, they,
1: because their vents were on. But it's steel. It's steel that actually protects you from the comet within the context of this movie. Right. And so the characters that we lead. follow... Huh? Is it lead? I think it's It's lead. steel. Is it like- it's steel because they're having a conversation about Superman. He he can see through steel, but he can't see through lead. But it is later determined that um, the con- the confinements that they were in during the comet's uh, landing or doing whatever it did to Earth, uh, were made of steel. Right. So we have um,
0: Regina Belmont and her sister Samantha, Mm -hmm. uh, portrayed by Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney, respectively, both of which had come off of soap operas. That's right. They were um, in competing, I guess, soap
1: operas. Days of our lives and one life to live. And what at the same time on yeah. prime time? Oh, that's that's interesting. Okay. So okay. Um, and you were saying, and I was saying that they don't look like sisters. And you were saying the younger looks older than the older. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't look like sisters. They but, do not
0: look yeah. like sisters, which is something that um, Tom Eberhart brought up on the commentary for this. He's the writer director of Night of the Comet. Mm-hmm. Um, he had specifically mentioned that he wanted. <laughs> he talks a lot about which is very interesting going into the backstory of this, the producers of this kind of helped cast the movie. the producers of this movie, again, we're not going to get too much into specifics because we're covering two movies here, but the important things to note are the producers of Night of the Comet had just come off the success of Valley Girl. Oh, that explains a lot. Yes, and this was kind of shoved into their laps. They didn't really want to revisit... Valley Girl, it seems like... Well, we've already done the Valley Girl thing. Like, even Valley Girl's at the end of the world, which I guess is kind of the pitch for Night of the Comet. Yeah, it's like um, Valley
1: Valley Girl meets uh, Omega Man. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, going back to the, the two
0: leads that were cast, um, he they were like, well, the casting director, he didn't really have much of a say in terms of all the casting, but the casting director kind of said, I mean, well, th- these are the two best ones here. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that were um, Heather Langenkamp, who would later go on, this came, Night of the Comic came out in 1984. Uh, 1984 was the also the year that the first Nightmare on Elm Street was released, and she ended up being the lead in that, which kind of launched her career, which, petered out but um, but she
1: auditioned for night of the comet right she did yeah um and she read she read with one of the stars she actually ended up reading with
0: katherine mary stewart who is the older sister but looks younger than the younger sister in it, my person according opinion, to you yeah according to yeah. me yeah i could have no idea what i'm talking about. well no <laughs> that, that could
1: act, that could actually be the case in terms of their, act, their ages, their real I ages. I tried
0: to look them up, um, and I don't want to stereotype women, but one of the actresses, and I'm not going to say which one, for respect out of her, I can't seem to find her age anyway. Even on IMDb, you yeah. can't find her birth date? I can find... Uh, no.
1: <laughs> I can find the years
0: active, <laughs> which is great, but I cannot find an exact birth date. Um, but watching the... Re- um, the behind-the-scenes documentary. Again, I'm not going to single out one. One has aged much better than the other.
1: <laughs> they um, both
0: look good to me. Anyway, okay. let's move on. Uh, now, Yeah, I'm getting <laughs> hung up on weird, weird <laughs> stuff. Please ignore me. So, Night of the Comet. Um, yeah, Tom Eberhardt, who previously was working at PBS, that was like his only experience, and he kind of wrote Night of the Comet um and he, he, he saw the success of Valley girl and he, he was like, okay, well, what about Valley girls at the end of the world? And he did some interviews with actual teenage girls and he kind of got some, some insight from them. And one of the things that all, all the teenage girls, again, I don't want to stereotype, or, but their biggest concern seemed to be
1: dating. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> well, what are we going to, which is, yeah. uh, it is a valid concern. Um. And that's very much a theme in Night of the Comet. Very it, much. The two sisters are going after ostensibly the last man on earth. Yes. Uh-huh. Um
0: yeah. Um even the last eligible bachelor. Basically. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. So we have one sister that um actually her boyfriend or uh part-time lover um a la Billy Joel um is the uh, film
1: project- projectionist. She works that's not at- a part time lover. That's Stevie Wonder, isn't it? Is it? I think so. <laughs> Go on.
0: <laughs> we've, uh, we've already gone completely off the rails, which is fine because it's like we're doing 80s apocalypse yeah, movies. And, yeah,
1: um, yeah, so it's okay to go off the rails. Absolutely. I mean, these, <laughs> mo- of these, these movies, movies both yeah. of these movies go Everybody completely does. off the rails. One
0: m- one makes a huge 180, um, and that's Miracle Mile. Uh, Night of the Comet is kind of full of 180s because... This movie has a lot in it. So the comet wipes out everyone that isn't in a protective environment. And the ones that it, and they're basically reduced to literal dust, which mm-hmm. leads to some of the, the the psych eggs early on. We just got piles of clothes in the streets and in, and then in and the empty
1: cars. And and the first the first time, forgive me, if I I have a ton of notes for this podcast Please. for this episode, so I'm going to be flipping pages a lot. Uh, but. Uh, I'm gonna call in *Night of the Comet*. I'm gonna call them by their character names. Okay. So at one point, too, uh, Regina, when she first discovers these piles of dust with the clothes, she's 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 looking at an article of clothing with interest, kind of like, "Oh, I like that." Kind yeah. of, and it's going over her head that you know this belongs she, to yeah, a, she has a, no a idea. person that's oh. now a pile of dust. And then, so, <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of the that's the humor that comes out of this movie all through the movie. Right. So we, yeah, it's kind of
0: valley girls at the end of the world and um yeah so she finds these piles of dust but then we come up to one of the things that happens if you're not wiped out by this comment is apparently you turn into a zombie right which interestingly enough was never kind of part of the original plot of this movie um Eberhardt comments that when he was writing the script he, he was like Well, I came to, like, page 30, and then I realized that there was, like, no antagonist. There's nothing to really create tension in this world. So, zombies! Why not? Why not? (laughs) And for those of you that want to... Apparently, there's a lot of debate whether or not this is a zombie movie. He says it's not a zombie movie, so we'll go with what Eberhardt says because it's his movie. I tend to not think of it pretty much as a zombie movie.
1: You don't see them very often and they're not really hyper aware of zombies on their tail or looming in the distance somewhere. No. So you see them once in a while. And they're easy to fight pretty much. I mean our our two they're teenage nuts. protagonists are great, female protagonists are great at um, kicking ass. They're like kickboxers. Right. I don't know how... Well, their father, I guess, took them to, did, to, to yeah. shooting ranges and probably gave them martial arts classes. And Regina mentions when she comes across the first zombie
0: that she's a girl that's been trained to take care of herself. Ah. And she kicks... Yeah, she kicks this zombie's ass. She does, And for right those away. of you that want to go into the first time you see quick zombies or fast zombies... Uh, these zombies are not slow. They're not particularly they, that they, kid. Particularly the kid that's right. But they move pretty much at a regular human's speed. Yeah, they're not yeah. superhuman like twenty eight days later or right. anything, but like that. But uh, people always seem to. They a lot of people get hung up on
1: the slow zombies versus fast zombies. Well, that's argument. always well, that's always we saw for a long time until twenty eight days later. Right. And so you always, you know, you always thought in the back of your head, well, I could always outrun a zombie. I could always, you know, punch a zombie in the face, you know, without it, you know having a quick reaction. Right. And And then that was turned on its, you know, on its head with Danny Boyle's uh, zombie movie. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, But, yeah, Eberhardt said it's not a zombie movie, and I have to say that. I mean, the biggest villains in this movie are just regular people.
1: Yeah, they are. They're, They're scientists. They're the establishment, actually. Well, first, before the establishment, well,
0: first we find out the nefarious ways of the establishment that's going slowly... I mean, this movie is is much more intelligent than I had initially given it
1: credit for. It has layers and different dimensions that it taps into at different times. Right. Uh I mean,
0: we've got we get subtle hints that there's something wrong with the survivors. Well, the government survivors. I mean, the woman's writing, she's she's actually writing, like, side effects of exposure. And she writes memory loss, but she misspells memory. So that's some heavy memory loss, especially for an educated scientist. Right. And then towards the end, they've gone completely off the rails mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in terms of what they're doing to the human survivors they are just basically sucking the blood dry out of them a la
1: a vampire to come up with a serum and they've made them brain dead so yes they're, they're basically in a coma yeah so they're just being kept alive like vegetables you know and it's and kind of their like
0: blood is being siphoned it's almost kind of on the nose the way that i mean because they're they're two nurses talking about it and they're basically well what can they do now that they're brain dead? The other nurse is like, nothing but produce blood. Yeah. Which is apparently that they the, uh, our fearless government who has come up with this brain trust, what has a very creepy Westworld esque logo that we see That's on right. their trucks and on the helicopter. They're, you know, they're what? in this underground base. Um, apparently. The la- they think that the, the the last survivors but um, our, our Valley Girls again this movie we're all over the place talking about this movie because this movie's all over the place we got Valley Girls breaking into a radio station one of them playing DJ and one of them getting a call on the hits line which turns out is the, uh, the government and then we get
1: and they and they yeah <laughs> and then we get a Mexican truck driver yep 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 uh Okay, where where to go, where to go from here? Right. Uh, so let's see. All right. So let's let's backtrack a little bit. Um, the woman who has the memory memory loss, by the way, is Mary Warnov. I will talk about her more in a little bit, but she is worth mentioning. And once again, I'll explain why. Okay. Now the idea. Now the idea of um, I love. I think it's a stroke of genius. I have here written in my notes half of the movie set in a radio station equals genius, because. We get a very uh, palpable soundtrack, basically, from this con- concept, from this conceit. Right. The, you know, because the in the radio station, there's a reel-to-reel that's constantly playing DJ announcements as well as music, forever and ever and ever. Uh, so we're constantly hearing music. We're constantly hearing music from the '80s in the radio station for all of those scenes, basically. Yes. You know, almost all of those scenes. Almost all of those scenes. Now it's interesting because I did listen to the soundtrack of both movies, uh, and the one for Night of the Comet was not uh, a standout for me. I wasn't as uh delighted with it as I thought I would be. what's more intre- What's more enjoyable is the soundtrack as you're watching the movie i want th- I want to say that there are about like 20 songs in the movie. I mean, I could be exaggerating, but it's just back- to back eighties songs uh throughout the whole flick, but noteworthy enough. It's not really eighty songs that I
0: recognize with one exception, which I well, not I mean Girls Just
1: Wanna Have Fun, which isn't the
0: Cindy Lauper version. No. Right. Um it's, yeah, it's, so it's another put, singer. Yeah, we got that song in the uh, the, the mall montage, but other Surprise. than that I did yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Valley Girl, of yeah. course we gotta have a mall scene. Yeah. Um which we should we should mention also the other antagonist of this movie briefly is a gang of
1: uh stock boys turned who are on their way to becoming zombies Yes, yeah they're st- starting to transition so they really don't give two fucks about what they're no. doing mm-hmm. um, so this whole sense of anarchy uh is prevalent in night of the comet as it is with a lot of apocalyptic movies i think of the Australian one that I mentioned to you from two thousand sixteen or two thousand thirteen. I wish I could remember the name of it. Oh boy, because that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. We, we watched the trailer for that. Something waves. Mm, no. We might want to plug that in at some point. Edit it in. Uh, so, so yeah, just make a make a note. Okay. Uh, but that's that's an excellent one. I should I should remember it. Uh, But that's also a movie where everybody is behaving completely primally, uh, you know, as animals, basically, uh, with complete anarchy in their minds. And I say anarchy in the worst sense. Um, I actually think anarchy can be a good thing, but in this case, it's not. These final hours. These final hours. From 2013. 2013, a really good Australian apocalyptic movie. It's very, very gritty uh, and intense it's basically in real time, you know, right before it all hits. So, uh so you know, with with that as in comparison to Night of the Comet, two very very different flicks. But in Night of the Comet, you still have a little of that ar- anarchy going on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um and it's dangerous
0: and violent. Right. And yeah, so the soundtrack, we got a lot of 80s music, but we don't get any of those like one-hit 80s wonders. Like, No, was but begging... a lot of
1: them are good songs. Yeah, but you I know? could have
0: gone for some Kajagoogoo or uh, <laughs> some Johnny Hates Jazz or some uh, Mexican Radio.
1: I mean, are these songs all originals? That are in the I, movie, we, I for think the most so, part because
0: I was watching I didn't recognize yeah. any of the songs. So I mean and that like,
1: says a lot right there. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, no, the, I mean, the we, top forty. We have to mention that this movie had a budget of seven hundred thousand dollars. That's unbelievable. And they did both movies actually, but that and Miracle Mile had very limited budgets that they had to work with and work around. Compared to seven hundred thousand dollars, Miracle Mile had a lot more to play with.
0: How much did Miracle Mile have? Three point seven million. So they had a three million plus the budget of Night of the Comet.
1: It's weird. You think it should be the other way around. Yes. You know. Uh, But you see, you see the you do see the money in Miracle Mile because it's all leading up to the apocalypse, whereas Night of the Living Comet is all post-apocalypse. Right. Yeah. Um. And pretty soon we're going to start segueing
0: because there's a lot of similarities here between these two movies, kind of more so behind-the-scenes technical stuff, even though I said we're not going to talk too much about that um, in very broad strokes. Uh, but Night of the Comet, it's, it, it tonally is kind of... I mean, you get a lot of humor here, and this was. I was surprised to find out that this
1: movie's only rated PG 13. I thought this movie was rated R. It should be. I mean, in my opinion, it should be. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure back. I don't know, for whatever reason. Like, it, you know, it doesn't have anything too explicit that would garner an R rating. But no, there but are, there's some. There I are mean. Moments, definitely. There's some.
0: Questionable. Like. The younger sister, she basically strips down to her bra and
1: panties. It's only a dream, but she still does it. And this. then she gets killed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is. It's, well, she, it's, it's disturbing. Still, she thinks that she She turns out she's not dead. Uh, well, I know. No, it's a dream <laughs> sequence. Shut up. No, no, no. But then the older sister is told at one point that her younger sister is dead. Right. But that's for different reasons. That's when right. the scientists come in and are supposed to give her a lethal injection and and Mary Warnoff's character whose name is Audrey uh, does not right she 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 actually has compassion she she's the only one of the scientists that see what they're doing is wrong yeah it but it, which was odd
0: to me because at first she seemed like the most cold mm-hmm. towards this whole thing she's very hesitant about mm-hmm. even going out to get survivors. She thinks that they should all focus
1: their attention on surviving themselves. Right. Sure. Yeah. She's got a very clinical. She she plays it well. She's got she a does. very clinical uh, mentality and, and modus operandis with her, and uh, she is very cold. So it is. It's all the more of kind of a revelation when she does show sympathy for these for these survivors mm-hmm. that they're trying that they're you know that they're preying upon. And, and going back to the PG
0: thirteen rating, this is uh, just a note bit of trivia. This is one of the first mainstream movies to ever have the PG thirteen. Oh, really? Uh, and Red that... Dawn was the
1: very first. Sure. Movie. Okay. Okay. Um, and once again, it's in nineteen eighty four. I keep bringing that up because we've done movies in nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four was a was quite the year. Things turned into neon in the eighties, and then. But I mean, also there's the whole Orwellian take on it. You know. Sure. Which is, like uh, you know, 19, ni- the book nineteen eighty four. The film was made in nineteen, and it's f- in nineteen eighty four. And also, uh, you said that your version of Miracle Mile, the DVD, actually has nineteen eighty four as a companion piece to it. Yes. What, who released that? It's MGM. Not... So it's an MGM release, and they threw nineteen eighty four on with Miracle Mile. Which is weird. And then we're doing as a double feature Night of the Comet, which was released in 1984. So there's some synchronicity going on here. Yeah, there's a lot. What did in- the video for synchronicity come out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I uh, want to say 1984. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, uh, yeah, but 1984,
0: um, this movie, I mean, it's, it's very... I mean, the fact that the producers from Valley Girl were involved in this movie doesn't you know I, I think they took a lot of the crew from valley girl to help make night of the comet and this was this was tom eberhardt's uh directorial debut
1: he had written it was his di- directorial debut he yes. hadn't directed anything no he okay. previously had worked for, like i said it, it had only worked
0: for pbs that was the only kind of showbiz t- ties that he had no
1: no 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 he wrote soul survivor which was a few years earlier. Or was it the year before? Or no, it was the same year, wasn't it? I think so. Didn't Soul Survivor come out? Yeah, so he wrote Soul Survivor, which is a good flick uh, that we should cover at some point that I told you about, uh, about a woman who is the only survivor in a plane crash, and she experiences a phenomenon that apparently happens where uh, people, I don't know, see dead people, That's what happens to her in the movie, at least. Right. So it's kind of Sixth Sense meets Final Destination kind of thing going on. Yeah, right, 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 right. In fact, yeah, yes. I'm just
0: going by what Eberhard says on the commentary, so maybe he's lying to me.
1: I that. want to say he directed Soul Survivor as well, but maybe not. I think but he it, did. I yeah. think I'm remembering the research that he had written and well, directed that. Well, then maybe he did that after Night of the Comet and they both got released the same year. Sure. Not the, quite we, sure. We could have an, uh, a yeah. true romance kind of thing yeah. going on here with, you know, you never know which post- came first. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. The, yeah. The Comet or The Survivor, I suppose. <laughs> um, so. I like that. And, and then. But both of the, both him, Eberhardt, and Dejarnet, who wrote and directed Miracle Mile, so both of them, like, this. I mean, the script for Miracle Mile was around for a lot longer than the script of Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet got picked up much sooner. But he had a meeting at Orion uh, Pictures, which was a huge thing at the time. But they said that the, the budget for this was going to be far too expensive, um, and he eventually came around to like a, a smaller production company, where the producers for Valley Girl were kind of. Uh, he said that um, he kind of defaulted to them in a lot of in a lot of ways because he wasn't as experienced with them. Um, but he knew that at the whole time that he's making a drive-in movie, that he was kind of making a, a fun sure. kind of movie, popcorn flick, right? And the movie is a lot of fun. I mean, I again, I am kind of surpri- surprised that it's only PG thirteen because there, I there is some very dark elements. Yes, it's. I mean, the gr- the girls, they, what turns into what ha- starts out as a fun mall montage of them trying on
1: different outfits. It, it, it turns into this huge shootout mm-hmm. and then they're tied up and they're very threatened by these this gang right uh-huh yeah it it, it there are very dark moments in it uh i agree i agree there's even um a hunger games aspect when she's rescuing the children from the scientists facility towards the end you know that's going on here um and there's there uh, i mean I won't I won't go into it, but there are certain elements of why I didn't do Highway to Hell with you. In okay. in, in Night of the Comet. So so it's it's there. I mean this is and I need to I need to mention that this is prevalent especially uh in movies in the eighties, uh a lot of them, especially um with younger casts. So I it's something that I notice and something that I have to deal with um with that knowledge. But I wanna piggyback on that in a lighter sense, I think. By saying that I was I was a teenager in the eighties, and not only was I a teenager in the eighties, I um would visit uh, Southern California a lot in the eighties. I was born in Ventura, so I was I was going back and forth visiting family a lot in the eighties. Both of these movies take place in Los Angeles in the 1980s, with uh well not with teenagers. Miracle Mile, they're actually grown ups uh, but they it's there's still there's still kind of a little bit of a teenage vibe in uh Miracle Mile. But it was very Uh, specific to that time being that age at that time. Uh, I remember that very clearly and it defined my world very much being a teenager in the 80s. It was like all of culture was catering to me and my friends. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was a good time. You know, if if you didn't know a lot of the other stuff going on in the 80s. I mean, there was so much going on in the 80s that was glossed over through uh, Reaganism, right? You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Eberhardt, uh, you know, a
0: lot of companies they just wanted to buy the script and they didn't want him to direct, and he was kind of insistent on, "I want to direct this." So,
1: um, and he had just filmed Cherry Two Thousand, or yeah, he had just come. No, that's off, the. That's the. That's the <laughs> this is going to happen a lot. Yes, go it ahead. Is, yeah. Go um,
0: ahead. Yeah. So so Soul so Survivor he said, or, I wanted, or not, I, yeah, Night of the Comet. Uh-huh. Yeah. I wanna direct this. Yeah. But according to his commentary, this was his first movie, so I'm thinking that they probably were they were Soul Survivor kind of um, came after this or was filmed very if he closely. directed it. Yeah. Um, so don't go by these facts. We're not we're not sure if we're hundred percent sure on that. Um, but it, this goes Into what happened with Steve Jarnett. Uh, Miracle Mile was a script that had been floating around Hollywood for close to 10 years. And it was one of those movies that kind of got bounced around a lot. And... If you've seen Miracle Mile, I hope you've seen both of these if you're listening, but you know that Miracle Mile, um, I mean, it's argu- it's arguably which one of these has the more downer endings. I tend to think Miracle Mile does,
1: because... Um, yes, it does. It does. I mean, um, I, I did crack the joke at the end of Night of the Living Comet. Night of the Co- Night of the Living Comet. Night of the Comet that, uh, that it seemed more bleak to me than the end of, of Miracle Mile, but Night of the Comet is much more... Fun. at the end, yeah. it, it, at, it at the end
0: we've yeah. we've got the um, the RKM references wrapped up. Uh huh. So, apparently the RKM. We'll get back to Miracle Mile in a second, but the RKM. So Regina is playing this video game, and she's hell bent on the top ten of this video game is going to be all her. And RKM pops up randomly, and apparently he had no intention of resolving this. Uh, But crew members and, like, producers kept asking him who RKM is. And he goes, it doesn't matter. The whole scene is about her. And we're trying to show that she's aggressive and competitive and all this kind of stuff. But then he finally resolves it at the end. We find out RKM is this uh, valley guy, I would say. (laughs) Yeah,
1: who shows up out of nowhere and to the complete delight of the younger sister now there's someone in the world for her <laughs> for her she's got a, she's got her boyfriend now by default and mm-hmm. as they're as they're pulling away and uh and her older sister and uh, Hector the the Mexican who is now hooked up with the older sister and the two children that have been rescued their their own little Family unit now. Yes. They say they say to the younger sister, "Well, make sure." Or to the valley guy taking her away. Yeah. Make sure you have her back by midnight. Yes. Ha ha ha. And as he's pulling away, you see his license plate, and it's RKM. That's right. So we That's got right. that was finally yeah. resolved. But um, yeah. Now, when she's playing that video game, you see her from the beginning. I think the opening sequence is her playing the video game, and she is. She's just like hell bent on winning this game over and over again, and you can see. Um, the warrior, I guess, within her yes. coming out. Uh, she does a good job of letting it show. She's just fixated. And her manager is, she's an usher at a, at a movie house, you know, yeah. and, uh, at a movie cinema. And she's playing the video game while she's on the clock. So her boss is like, will you please get to work? Can you like go down the aisles? And, uh, and she's like in a minute in a minute in a minute i gotta win this game yeah <laughs> so she it, it should be
0: noted that i mean these girls were trained their father who is a, apparently away on some green beret mission um <laughs> is left with the and they're left with their stepmother who they don't even call bitch. mom they just call denise yeah um the doris
1: or is it doris it's doris is it Doris? yeah okay. doris. dude yeah <laughs> Doris <laughs> Doris beats the shit out of the younger sister. She punches her in the face.
0: Right, which is another reason why it was like PG-13. The stepmom just straight up cold cocked this girl right in the face. Like, the slapping is one thing. That's daytime soap opera. I'm sure that actress is slapping someone at least once a week in a soap opera. But, I mean, she gets punched and flips over the couch. Um, where was I going?
1: I don't know. Excuse me. I have no listeners, idea. I'm smoking so, a cigarette. Um, I'm b- like blowing smoke into the microphone. Go yeah, ahead. The microphone can take it. The <laughs> microphone's
0: fine. So, their father has a military background. They, they talk about that's why they kind of have the self defense training and they have got some weapons training. Uh, one of the funnier scenes in this movie, one of the lighter scenes, is they're shooting up this car um in downtown la shooting up this car in downtown la i got some interesting notes about the shooting in la kind of thing but uh, yeah they're shooting up this car i forget the kind of gun that they're using but it it actually kept locking up um during production while they were filming the scene the the gun was kept locking blocking up or locking up and it, it, it wouldn't fire and the uh the director said if that happens again just go with it just just make improvise you, improvise and one of the my favorite line of the movie is daddy would have gotten this uzi which <laughs> and is... that's
1: because they were supposed to have uzis for that yes. scene and they yes, couldn't they get were. their mitts on uzis for that no. scene so instead they had these faulty little uh machine guns yeah
0: so yeah this movie was made for seven hundred Thousand dollars, and that's unbelievable. Even for them, the box office far exceeded the budget. Um, They they, it did. I mean, easily recouped its money, and did fairly well at the box office. Did fairly well on cable and in video stores and all that. On the flip side, we have Miracle Mile, which had a budget of three point seven million and only grossed one point one million. Yeah, big flop. And we've got another um writer director who, who was insistent on directing his own movies yep. um who had previously done a movie called Cherry 2000 which is another this guy must be like hung up on post apocalyptic or armageddon kind of things yep. cuz Cherry 2000 although he did not I just noticed he did not write Cherry 2000 he only directed it he just it. directed it yep. so uh, which is a post apocalyptic Movie which neither of us have seen, but it seems to have something to do with some sort of sex robot. So if that's your deal, check out Tor- Cherry Two Thousand. It's
1: got Melanie Griffith. Until Mel, yeah, until Mel- <laughs> Melanie Griffith comes along, and then it's a, looks a, like a whole nother movie.
0: But if you want a better '80s Melanie Griffith movie, watch Body Double or Something Wild. Okay, that's Let's, my shameless plug. Okay,
1: we can talk about Miracle Mile a little bit more because we're we're talking a lot about uh, Night of the Comet. Right now, uh now the, the Jarna uh also i realized wrote uh this the teleplay for a, uh, uh was it roll roll doll Roll doll Roll doll a short story called man from the South and he did it for Alfred Hitchcock presents the eighties version really yeah, okay. and I saw that when it first aired uh so i i was you know, subconsciously familiar with his work, I guess. Mm. Raw Dahl and Hitchcock. I like it. hmm. Mm hmm. So, this and both mo- of the. And uh, Man from the South actually had Melanie Griffith in it as well. So, something's up with him and her. I mm. don't know. Yeah. yeah. She knows how to get a role. Yeah. I'm not, not saying anything.
0: <laughs> so, yes, this script uh, was on the Hollywood blacklist. And this is not the bad Hollywood blacklist. Like, uh, uh, you get blacklisted or blackballed like a director and actor that Hollywood no longer wants to have any um anything to do with the uh this, this the screenplay blacklist is a list of ten movies of of unproduced scripts, so it's not movies it's ten unproduced scripts like the best of the year and I think it was nineteen eighty three or eighty four that this movie was on that list and again this sat around for ten years because what was happening was that companies wanted to do it, but two things were getting held up here. One, they kind of just wanted to buy the script from Dejarna and they didn't really want him to direct. But the bigger hang-up seemed to be this bleak ending. They wanted a happy Hollywood ending. And he stood his ground as far as the ending of this movie goes it's very interesting because this movie, as uh, somebody quoted saying that this movie has the biggest lurch in tone that they had seen in quite a while. One of the critics, um, both these movies received s- similarly pretty good reviews. Uh, Miracle Mile more so than Night of the Comet. I, um, But then again, Night of the Comet is a lot more fun. Miracle Mile starts out a lot of fun. And DeJarnett has introduced it at screenings as a John Hughes comedy, which <laughs> romantic John Hughes romantic comedy, which it kind of it's, it's kind of starts out that way. We kind of have like a very sweet '80s meet cute at a museum, mm-hmm. and we get this traveling jazz trombonist that
1: falls in love with this waitress. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking of I kept thinking of Bill Pullman and Lost Highway that I, I would I would <laughs> rather see bill pullman as a white man jazz musician i think than anthony edwards <laughs> but anyway well i couldn't stop thinking of that no well here's the thing the saxophone
0: is a lot sexier it than the trombone is. it certainly you're is you're doing some you're
1: right. questionable
0: yeah hand gestures there when you're doing air trombone <laughs> whether or not you're doing air <laughs> saxophone a la bill pullman and lost highway but yeah, yeah. This, the trombone's not the sexiest event of, in, of instruments but I mean, this movie takes, yeah, this movie does a hard one eighty because we get a very nice meet cute they spend the day together, she takes her grandfather to see him um he actually meets both of her grandparents mm-hmm. at, at, at some point point. Mm-hmm. and then they they um she's got to go to her shift at the diner now she's a she's a hard working waitress, so it's she's got the night shift and um they make plans to make to meet up at what one o'clock in the morning?
1: I think midnight. Midnight.
0: midnight? I think you're right. It was, it was like midnight. So they make plans. Okay, you wrap up at midnight. We'll meet around twelve thirty, and we'll do something fun together. Um, and then, kind of like in a in, in a stroke of genius, they actually show why the why the
1: hotel loses all its power and blacks out. It's like birds making a nest on the wires. It's it's no, not that genius. It's kind of like no. What? He's outside on the balcony smoking a cigarette. Oh, takes a
0: look at some kids and kind of smiles and kind. It's almost like he's reflecting on I just met a woman. I'm gonna like maybe we'll have kids someday. So I'm gonna quit smoking. And he flicks his cigarette
1: away. And, and that's that what lands, starts the fire yes. in the bird's nest on the wires. I didn't get that. Yes. All right. So it is It is clever. All I right. I mean, we
0: actually do get it. He so actually, yeah, he kind of brought this upon himself in a way. Yeah, uh, I get
1: That makes it, that makes it more clever, definitely. But it short circuits the hotel, the electricity goes out and he sleeps right through his date. Yes. Right? And then the electricity comes back on. He doesn't know he slept right through the date and he goes to the diner and it's too late. And
0: It's like 3 o'clock in the morning at that point. Yeah. 3.30? Three, three yeah. Because yeah, he's talking
1: like, well, Harry, you, you really messed up. You yeah. spent the girl of your dreams and mm-hmm. now you're three hours late for your date. Not good. Not good. And the phone rings in the phone booth outside Right. and he answers it and that's when we get the big one.
0: 80. Yes, I mean, like up into this point, this could have easily been a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. and it was and, working well on that level absolutely.
1: too. Absolutely, the, mm-hmm. the, um, they're both—they both have a lot of chemistry. The, uh, they both dated in real life, by the way, when oh. they were making this movie, so I the mean, chemistry that, that is, is, is there. Lends itself. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, so what Mare, name? Mare Winningham. Thank you. Winningham. She's a wonderful actress. She, I think, I'm pretty sure she's in St. Almost Fire. Um, okay, and she uh, she's in Georgia with Jennifer Jason Lee We were talking about her before we started recording. Uh, about two sisters pursuing uh, a music career, and one of them actually has talent, the other one doesn't. Mare Winningham is the one who does have talent. She has a beautiful voice that she uh, puts on display for this movie.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then we've got, uh, I think, I,
0: this is like the only leading. Role for Anthony Edwards in a movie that I can think of off the top of my head. Well,
1: I mean, Mr. North came later. A very annoying movie. Uh, that's an all-star cast, but he is considered the star of that movie. Okay. Yeah, because then I, he did that stint in Northern Exposure, where he was uh, too sensitive to the environment, so the he lives. Man. He lives in yeah, a bubble. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'd had it with him by that point.
0: And then, like he, <laughs> he, 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 like came. Hugely well known and prominent for ER. Yeah. I mean, he was the lead doctor on for most of that series. I stopped watching around season two, so I don't know much okay. about ER, but that's kind of like where my Anthony Edwards radar was, mm-hmm. was kind of just like ER and Fast Times at Richmond High, oh, which right. was like 79 yeah. or 80. So, yeah.
1: and then like somewhere in between here, I mean, he was. It's his first shot at real leading man role. Right. It's maybe his only. Mr. North doesn't even really count.
0: Right. So this, but I mean, he carries this movie and you kind of had to ignore the box office flop that it is because it's actually a very well-made movie. It is.
1: It packs Um, a wallop and it keeps building and building. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't bottom out. No. Once, once, I mean, what happens is I think that this movie, I mean, it
0: starts out as a romantic comedy. Then we get this very tense phone call. Where this guy is in a uh, a missile bunker in North or South Dakota. And he thinks he's calling his father. Right. He's trying to reach his father because he's wa- trying to to warn his father that um, we're about to have nuclear war here. Um, they're going to shoot off. This is their words, not mine. They're full load. So, right. <laughs> you know, right. That's not a sexual innuendo, folks. That is an actual you know, atomic
1: bomb. It's, it's a, a, well, it is a sexual innuendo. Well, not in terms (laughs) of this movie. Yeah, I mean, why else would you say that? I mean, he's still saying like, you know. Who says that to their father? Well, I mean, he's panicking. Okay, let's, I mean, uh, why would you say that? You're going to shoot your full load. I mean, that's, that's definitely a sexual innuendo.
0: I wonder if that's like, one of those weird military kind of things. Because he's, he, he has, he picks up on a couple phrases here that he, Talks to some lady later on, but basically, this guy is um, trying to warn his father that um, their retali, they're, the mi- missiles are already coming in, like they've got fifty minutes before the missiles hit, and fifty-five zero, yeah, yeah, and then they're they're going to retaliate. So he goes back into this diner. The... Well,
1: well, 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 well. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. after, after, after he says all of this, you hear machine gun fire, and then you hear another voice coming on and saying to him, "Forget everything that you heard. Go back to sleep." That's right. Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Because it's the middle of the night, but of course there are much more. Uh, bigger overtones to that statement. Sure, I think that that was, yeah. That No, yeah. that line was definitely yeah. crafted with yeah. more than
0: just like, yes. oh, it's four in the morning. Right. You should be sleeping. Right. This is uh, this Big is... Brother telling you.
1: Mm-hmm. Because Tune guy, out.
0: Yeah, because, well, first the guy on the phone says, yeah, this is all a joke. And then you hear him, he's saying, they could see me in the monitors. They could see me on the monitors. Mm. Oh, no. And then you hear some, yeah, the, you hear machine gun fire and then somebody else picks up Picks up the line, and Anthony Edwards is, is just like, Oh, he keeps that. This has got to be a joke, right? It's got to be a felony for you to be joking about this on the phone. And the guy says, Yes, it's just, it's nothing. Don't concern yourself.
1: It's. That's one of the agents that picks yeah. up after it says that. Yeah. Go back to so, sleep. Yeah. And so now Anthony Edwards is out to inform everybody what's going on. And for the right. most part, they believe him, which I've had to just go with. Well, I think,
0: well, well, they don't, they don't just take, like, he doesn't walk into the coffee, like the diner and say, this, this is what
1: happened and everyone's on board. What happens? He's backed up by that woman who is in the know. Right. On on her big ass 80s cell phone. On her, yeah. um, (laughs) She's got her big ass,
0: uh, Denise Cronenberg. No, Denise something, Crosby, Denise Crosby. Okay. I knew it would come to me. I knew it wasn't Cronenberg. There is a Denise Cronenberg that's David Cronenberg's sister, and I think he she works as a, a costume designer, which is just random and has nothing to do with Miracle Mile. So back to Miracle Mile, <laughs> we have Denise Crosby who's playing. some. She, she said that she used to date some politician or something, but then she starts making some phone calls. He says some things, like he, he uses a technical word that immediately her ears perk up, and yeah. she's like, repeat that? Yep and then she starts making phone calls and then people start believing Yeah. because
1: it's not the like the cook comes out and right. he, and she's like remember they have an exchange and he's like wow so this is really happening she validates it basically yes. she validates it we
0: don't get yeah it's not just people are like immediately on board going
1: well really well
0: but there is a there is a degree of that there you is know, that you but have i mean to kind
1: of just go with. i mean yeah but we do get some validity from from her mm-hmm and, and she starts putting together a helicopter uh, ride. To go to the airport, to go to Antarctica? Or the North Pole. I think it's the North Pole, but it might be Antarctica. Right. One of the poles. Because she's telling so-and-so that, um,
0: so we get, I mean, and then the owner, the, the cook at this diner has kind of been like a doomsday prepper. <laughs> it's like, he's all set. He's oh, got yeah. a shopping cart full of canned goods and he he basically says everybody get in the truck we're going to go and um that's when this movie puts its foot on the the gas pedal and never stops. Mm-hmm. This is just mm-hmm. non-stop and this also
1: kind of plays out in real time mm-hmm. supposedly. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're in it for the ride like it it's the clock is ticking. Right. And so Anthony
0: Edward joins them because somebody steals his car. One of the guys, one of the homeless guys that's been preaching out there is, like, not Spoonie. Like, no one's going to blow up Spoony, And, like, he ends up stealing a car, I think. Okay. And then, so, they're in a truck. And then he notices, he asks, we got to go back for uh, Mara Winningham's character. we got to go back for her. And the, the, he's the, like, no way. The cook initially says, yeah, fine. And he jumps in the car. But then he notices that they're headed in the wrong direction, so he um, this is where he obtains a gun and he puts the gun to the, the the diner owner's head and basically says, "Well, we're gonna stop." And the guy's like, "No way!" He's like, "You're gonna jump out? You're gonna jump out here?" And um, And he does, he does. He jumps out and then he run. I mean, then he just starts to run into some of these side characters that are just littered throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. Because after this scene, we never see this this troop of people ever again. Mm -hmm. They're mentioned. Well, specifically, Denise Crosby's characters mentioned. um, But we'll get to that. Um, But we never see them again. We're left with Anthony Edwards on the highway here. And he runs into an actor who I only know from Forrest Gump, Bubba. Okay. Who's got a sweet 80s uh, Adidas tracksuit on. Yes, he does. (laughs) He does. And this is kind of where we get the Chicken Little kind of thing going. Because then the story starts to change. He told the truth to this group at at the diner. But what he tells... Bubba, I'm just gonna call him Bubba for the sake of simplicity. What he tells Bubba is that it's a nuclear, it's a meltdown at one of those um, uh, in a nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He starts changing the story a little bit for different people. Yeah. Right, and then yeah. we get this like chaos. This is when the chaos starts because they go to a gas station. There's all this miscommunication between the cops and the owner of the gas station, and they end up accidentally killing two cops.
1: Well. Presumably dead. Well, the catch on fire. Right. I think they're dead. Well, yeah. I'm saying presumably. Okay. I mean, maybe they're in the burn
0: unit. Or not. Okay. (laughs) But basically, then we get just nonstop, kind of like set piece after set piece where he goes and and finds. um, I need to find this character's name. I can't keep calling her Mara Winningham make a note here. Mare. Just say Mare. Mare. Yeah. He's got to go back and get Mare. And um, he convinces her grandparents to... Um, at first, they agree to come with them. And it should be noted, one of the sweeter things in this movie is that... Well, the grandparents are estranged. hmm um, And we get that through the course of the conversation um, early from earlier in the day. But um, she says... That they 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 had said that they were never going to talk to each other until the day that they died, mm-hmm. which is kind of telling because then we get this kind of sweet scene where the two of them pull up in a car, and they're going to go.
1: They reunite and they tell they tell the kids quote unquote the adult kids, that um that they want to spend the last you know few minutes on earth together. They're going to go get what they're going to go to a. He's going to get some yeah he
0: says yeah. something about a heart attack. Kind of meal pastrami meal or yeah. something, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, yeah, it's very sweet. It, and it, it's interesting because, I mean, Miracle Mile is 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 it's a love story that's kind of happening at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. We, it is. We we go. I mean. We'll get, we're going to get to the ending but we go from the beginning to the very end of this relationship mm-hmm. I mean how many movies can say that they cover everything mm-hmm. this movie has the very beginning their first meet cute at the museum and then um, they eventually I mean through I mean it's just a series of mishaps one after the other um, they finally get to the building where the helicopter is ready to take them o- away to safety to hopefully survive but it turns out there's no pilot So then he's got to go find a pilot. He tells her to wait. He still hasn't told her the truth, but she kind of picks up the pieces by talking to all the other people, loading up the helicopter, and getting it ready. Mm -hmm. Um, He finally finds a pilot um, in in this like all night gym, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. which (laughs) they're all working. Yeah, that's right. They're all working out. Yeah. He finds a pilot in an all night gym. and recruits him.
0: And the, oh, right. Yep. Recruits him, tells him where to go, but then he hears her, he hears Mar, his girl, screaming for a helicopter pilot because she's, mm-hmm. she's taken it upon herself. So then they end up reuniting um, and they're about to head back to the helicopter pad, but then they're intercepted by Bubba and his sister who have gotten to some sort of shootout with the police. And then we get a department store scene where he finally tells her the truth about what's going on. And then we kind of get this very nice kind of moment. I mean, you said the clock is ticking. We actually get a moment where the two of them are just talking um, and we, they're surrounded by clocks. It's all oh, clocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we hear the police, like, they're having this conversation about reconciling and about him telling the truth. And um, we hear the police in the background telling them to come out. And then when they finally do come out, we see the police are just leaving. And we kind of we kind of get word that um,
1: his little story has spread. Well, and also people are seeing it on the news. He sh- they, there are a bunch of people watching uh, ho- televisions in a department store window. And I think he shoots the window or bashes the window in so they can actually hear what's being said on right, the TV. Yes. And th- it's being announced. It's being announced on the television. Because previously in the night, probably about a half an hour earlier, he
0: had he was they had stolen the police car, him and Bubba, and he gets on the radio and actually asks them about an evacuation plan. Um, okay, that's right. So and they don't know what he's talking about, right? No, right. they at supposedly time, doesn't know what he's talking at that about. Stage in the game, yep. but then quickly we kind of get. I mean, it's it's interesting. Both of these movies have very beautiful shots of empty, empty streets. Sometimes at night,
1: sometimes during the day. Yep. Um, yep. That whole '80s urban nighttime uh, feel is very much present in Miracle Mile. Right. Uh, it is in Night of the Comet too, but not so much. A lot of that is during the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, With this kind of hazy red sun beaming down. Well, the red. To... The red is the 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 comets leftovers and the people and the people basically yes. who have turned to dust are kind of floating through the air. So, um,
0: yeah, we, we get kind of, it's interesting cause we kind of get the flip side of, um, of night of the comet where everyone is happy celebrating this comet coming and the opening scenes are people having comet watching parties mm-hmm. and everyone's celebrating like it's new years. Like they're waiting for the ball to drop. At this point, we, we turn to the the, the the final third of Miracle Mile. We have everyone and their mother trying to get out of Los Angeles. We've got roads filled with cars crashing into one another. we got people
1: running around. we got people looting.
0: And it's chaos.
1: Yeah, there's a big tracking shot that must have been you know, cost a lot of that budget, where it pulls back on Anthony Edwards and we see cars piled up and people panicking and running around. It's a it's a it's a good scene. It's a good moment that's well staged. Yeah. And I think with Miracle Mile, uh, I know with Night of the Living Comet, they weren't able to block off streets a lot. So they had to film like early hours or when people weren't around in L.A., like a Sunday morning. Right. Um, with Miracle Mile, I, they probably did close off streets for... Yes, what they did. they did. Yeah, even though I heard that they had to go back and film some more stuff after afterwards. Um, yeah, they had to yeah, do, do some they, reshoots. Yeah, and they didn't have hardly any budget to do that. So no. they had to be... You know, they had to really find their way through that. So, yeah. The, yeah. It, I mean, we've got total chaos here. And yep. then we get
0: we th- the lovers get back to um the building where the helicopter pad is and the uh, they, they're going up in the elevator and the elevator stops and they think that this is it and they kind of like we, we get some very sweet and tender moments between them i i don't find it uh, surprising at all that they actually had a, an off-screen relationship because their chemistry here it, it, it's palpable. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really is. It feels very genuine. It, it feels like two people that have kind of like
1: had this love at first sight kind of moment. And they've decided to spend it together, spend the end of the world together.
0: Right. And they're stuck in this elevator and we think that this is going to be it. And then they get to the, the the roof and the helicopter is gone. And the only person left is this crazy drunk guy that's rambling about how this, uh, well, he uses a very uh, he uses the hard c word to call <laughs> in, in reference to her, um, Denise Crosby's character that we uh, I had mentioned. Um, so, I mean, and this is the very climax of the movie, and this is kind of where we get the down. I mean, it's a very downer ending because you kind of think that it's over in the elevator, okay. They're gonna spend the last moments of their life. The missiles are gonna come. They're stuck in an elevator. Then they get to the helicopter pad. Okay, there's no helicopter there, so they're gonna spend the last moments together on the, on the rooftop. Then the helicopter comes back. I'm not sure what happened to the pilot, but he's bleeding all over the place, and there's nobody else in this helicopter. Mm. So they get into the helicopter. the The missiles come. They crash. And they're sinking. They're sinking in a helicopter Mm -hmm. before the final missile comes. And at first they kind of accept it. Then she panics and she wants to try to get out. And he's like, there's nothing out there. There's nothing to go back to. But if we stay here together, we could become, maybe they're going to dig us up in a thousand years and we'll become... um, exhibits in a museum or something. or At a cellular level, our souls are always going to be together. Um, and, yeah, this is a downer
1: because then...
0: And then it ends. And then we fade to black, the credits start rolling. Yeah,
1: I mean, I was very surprised by that ending. I was like, what? Like, you're just ending it right there? I mean, it is kind of a, like... It's a cut-punch even, even, ending. Even, even more than a downer, it's just kind of a shock. It's kind of like, what? I guess there's there's no way to end it any other way. No, you're just gonna die. Yeah, and there is there is something very romantic about it when you meet someone in those and that feeling is there from the beginning. Um, for people who are in love with love at first sight, like this is a movie for them because these two people have just met and they are falling. You know, they're falling in in goo with each other, if yes. not total love with each other, but. So the end of the world comes and they are allowed to um, fulfill that, go with that and spend it together up until the end. So they they never get past that initial love at first sight or goo at first sight. You know, no. they're they're in that and they capitalize on that. You have to. They're forced to capitalize on that.
0: And then we kind of get love of love at convenience with Knight of the Comet, it's kind of like, well,
1: Hector seems to be the only guy alive. Yeah, but he's hot, so it's like, it's okay. I think so. Yeah, so, I mean, so that's that's kind of, that's more of the two sisters uh, fighting over that one guy, even though the younger sister, the older sister has already made claims on him. Right. But they do have a funny moment where they're fighting about him, and they both... Crack up laughing because they just realize how absurd the the whole thing is. Right, you know? I, and they're fighting over the last
0: guy. In I the mean, world. and again, I mean, you wouldn't get away with that today. But the younger sister says,
1: "But what if he's a fag?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's gay stuff in both movies. Like there's. Oh right, right there like is. In, in Miracle Mile, like the 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 pilot who's the workout dude ends up being gay. Bec- and I didn't even catch this, but he's like, "I got to bring someone," and it's another guy. I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was a chick. Um kind of, yeah, a little bit. So, but I mean, it's 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 a dude. And I also found out in the trivia that when he, later, when Anthony Edwards is trying to find that guy, the pilot, the same guy, he mistakes another guy for that guy. Do you remember that? Yes. That's a gay porn star. That is actually a well-known gay porn star. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know who he is, but yeah. So so it makes its way into. Uh, Miracle Mile, and just, you know, as an offshoot with, during, with that conversation at Night of the Living Comet. Yeah. You know, Night of the Living Comet. I keep saying that. That's, That's fine. <laughs> at this point, I've just come to accept it. At first, I was going to correct you, and I was like,
0: nah, nah we're just going to roll with it. We'll just roll with Night of the Living Comet. It's very interesting to me. So, I don't know if that you came across this in your, um, your research, but up for Anthony
1: Edwards' role were both Nicolas Cage and Kurt Russell. Oh, right. I did see that. Now, Mm -hmm. And I saw that Crispin Glover auditioned for the voice of Chip. Who is Chip? Do you know? No. Okay. The voice of Chip? The voice of Chip. And so I don't know who Chip is. You might want to edit this part out. Listeners, (laughs) please, if you know who the (laughs) voice of Chip is, in reference to Miracle Mile... Please hit me up on Twitter at cultfilmcomp. <laughs> that and... might have been the one guy on the phone who announces it. Oh, okay. I could see Crispin Glover doing cray cray like that and yeah. doing it better actually than the actor who did it on the phone. Right? They should better... have cast Crispin Glover in that role. <laughs> better yet, <laughs> listeners, find Steve Jarnett on Twitter and and hashtag Chris,
0: cast Crispin Glover. You know I mean, <laughs> go back and redo this, but. I, I mean, Kurt Russell apparently was too busy. I mean, Kurt Russell had a, a hell of a track record in the 80s, um, cranking out like movies left and right. Mm-hmm. And Nick, um, Nick Cage was a hot item after Valley Girl. Right. And apparently, Nick, this is only the kind of thing that Nicolas Cage would want to do. Is He kind of wanted to do Valley Girl Part 2 in Miracle Mind which really
1: wouldn't have worked
0: for the character.
1: He wanted to do that? Yes. What, so where does he get off making... Okay. Well, all right. I mean... I uh, mean, he is a Coppola. He is a Coppola. <laughs> and I did
0: tell you about the the movie where he randomly starts talking like Humphrey Bogart at the end. No, or,
1: stop. No, I mean, no, this no, is... Let's no, not talk about Nick Cage. Okay. Like, I know you like him, but I just... I can't. I can't. The man's a true thespian. <laughs> the man is a... <laughs> cheap well, he's, he's, I mean, maybe in... technically, stop it. So, uh,
0: yeah, but no, that totally wouldn't have worked. Um, I can I, I could, Anthony Edwards kind of seems to be hot and cold on this movie. Cause at one, like he kind of sings its praises, but he also says it's very dated. I mean, they didn't really have the the money. He says the this.
1: special effects are dated, but I mean, I don't care. Like I love these special effects in, both movies, I right. really do. I love the fact that they're hopelessly trapped in the 80s, those special effects. I mean, it's, you know, I but I like watching old Doctor Who. I like watching that kind of special effects. So it doesn't bother me. No, it, it doesn't d- bother me either. Yeah, I, I, I kind of love it. it. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean,
0: I'm always, if if it's practical effects or CGI, give me practical effects. Yeah. I
1: don't care if yeah. you can tell they're. I'm, aren't you so CGI'd out? Oh. Every, oh. Everything. Oh. Pretty,
0: yeah.
1: Enough of CGI. Yeah, Death to that's why that's why we keep going back to these pre-CGI flicks for our uh, science fiction yeah, entertainment. I don't. I mean, have, I was a more of a. I was a, t- a child of
0: the '80s, but I, I. mean, I was a teenager in the '90s, but I mean to me, like the '80s, I kind of always, I, I go back to lots of neon, lots yeah. and lots of neon. Yeah. and but I still
1: maintain, although I'm I'm sure it's not technically true but i do maintain that that neon started after 1983 that's my recollection and that's my you know it might have it was definitely prevalent in night of the comet which came out in
0: 84 Mm -hmm. so they must have filmed it in 83 but still i was actually because i'm that kind of film nerd i i watched all the credits and there's actually just someone credited for neon in this movie that's right so i mean but on the flip side we got kind of like the John Hughes-esque kind of thing going on with Miracle Mile where there's there's no neon in Miracle Mile that I can think of. Um the clothes. There's some there's some neon in the the gym. There, there is. is. Yeah.
1: There is. So I take that back. Uh-huh. But I mean I mean you're in full on 80s there. Like aerobic workout <laughs> video, <laughs> Leotards. Yeah. yeah. All of that um, hot pink with the hair bands, it's like, you know, Olivia Newton-John physical All that. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. So that, but I I mean, like Night of the Comet is like drenched in
1: neon, though, like I would say Uh, it is especially that radio station. Oh, yeah. That's all neon. You know, I by the way, I love the poster for Miracle Mile that has the palm trees and the one in the foreground is on fire. Yes. And the fire flames look like leaves, you know, the palm leaves on a palm tree. It's the branches. It's really good. And it's very uh, 80s art deco looking with the with the mushroom cloud way off in the background. Yes. Great poster.
0: Which will be included with this episode. I know exactly what you're
1: talking yeah. about. Because I went
0: to check because the distribution for these movies is odd. Um they somehow both ended up at MGM, although neither one of them were initially produced by MGM. Mm-hmm. And they just, one of those acquired titles, if they buy out a company, they
1: get whatever existing IP is there. So, I mean, wasn't it soon after that MGM got absorbed by, I don't know what, Touchstone I've, or something? I, I've lost track yeah.
0: at this point. Yeah, um, so
1: they, I guess this was one of their last, you know, forays into releasing movies, I don't know. So, um...
0: There's a beautiful Shout Factory combo uh, for Night of the Comet. And then it I has have, two posters on it. Yes. It's got um, the original poster, which is kind of just like a dark, ominous Twilight Zone kind of feel to it, which is very interesting. With a
1: door opening and a shadow uh, silhouette going through it, if I'm correct. Am I right? Yes, you are yep. correct. Yep. Um, so it looks, looks kind of like uh, Close Encounters or something.
0: Right, and uh, Tom Ebenhardt talked about how he was influenced a lot about these empty city movies that he called them. Mm -hmm. Um, Love it. And and how the first episode of the Twilight Zone was an empty city episode. Mm I mean, I'm trying to narrow it down. There's a lot of empty
1: city episodes of the Twilight Twilight Zone. (laughs) Yes, there are. Uh, It's funny because when I had my idea for my movie... Uh, It was when lockdown started and well, no, it was before that. But when lockdown started, all of a sudden I thought, oh, wow, I can start doing this. I can start, you know, filming empty streets and empty neighborhoods because no one's out, you know. And I remember there was even a billboard for Wheel of Fortune because it had come back on the air with Pat Sajak. And uh, I I thought this this was even better. You know, I I got out my my camcorder because I wanted to shoot it on video. Uh, and did some stock footage of that.
0: You know? Sweet.
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, just for the record, you read what I what little I've written yes. for it, and you liked it, right? I loved
0: it. I was actually I was going to surprise you. I was hoping at the end of this episode we could talk a little bit about Andrew's written project. We so can. We, we will. Um, where was I going with this? What was I saying? Tom Eberhardt was uh, talking about empty cities. Yes. So he was inspired by that, and then Valley Girl kind of took off, and he he, I mean he he talks about how influential Valley Girl was to getting this movie made. He, yeah. if, if Valley Girl didn't happen, um, the song and the movie, I mean, they were both popular at the time. Um, and then, I mean, the producers of Valley Girl were kind of straddled with this project.
1: Yeah. And um, so they wouldn't have happened. Um, and but, it's fun. It's fun seeing two Valley Girls uh Show their their stuff, you know, that that they're tough behind uh, it all. Apparently, some feminist groups had a problem with uh, this
0: reissue artwork. I have issues with it, not necessarily because of why the feminists do, more so the fact that Zombie Cop, who's kind of... Let me see. Who's kind of right there on the cover... Only
1: appears in a dream sequence. It's kind of misleading to put zombie cop there. Those were real cops too, or or just they weren't actors. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't like this. No, I prefer the original one. Me too. Um, so, if as you, always, if you get it from Shout Factory, you could just you can flip it right around <laughs> and um, enjoy. Now, I and the tagline and the original poster is: "It was the last thing on Earth they ever expected."
0: Now, I always like to get a physical copy of the movies that we cover here um, so, so I could do research. What I ended up with Miracle Mile is there's actually a much nicer release of Miracle Mile out there featuring the cover that you were just describing, the Art Deco oh, yeah. Palm Tree. Um, for some reason, this was the first thing that came up on Amazon. And this thing's just shoddily thrown together. I mean, it's, it's a bad bare picture. Bare bones. Oh, it's a terrible. Yeah, it's terrible the two of things.
1: them holding each other as it all goes down. But, and you, yeah, you think that it could be anything.
0: Actually. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's not. I mean, so if you're going to get a copy
0: of Miracle Mile, go for one of the nicer editions. The only positive I can say about this is that there's no bonus features for Miracle Mile. There's not even. A menu screen, you could choose between Miracle Mile and your only bonus feature, which is oddly enough the John Hurt version of 1984. Mm-hmm. So, th- and which both of them, I mean, uh, I'm guessing that they were, yeah, MGM acquired Orion because both of these movies were done by Orion. Miracle Mile and
1: 1984 and were then done then by MGM, And then MGM released And, them. and MGM up- obtained them. What, who, Night of the Comet was done by, oh, no, no. No, he had a meeting, he had a yeah. meeting With at Orion. Orion. Orion.
0: Orion was big stuff in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I, I remember you see that logo, Orion mm-hmm. logo, it's just like, you you, you just kind of reminisce. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we got kind of like two, sh- two shades of the 80s here um, in Miracle Mile and in Night of the Comet.
1: Now, Night of the Comet was released when? 84. As well as, and oh, it was Miracle Mile, that was 88. Yes. Yeah, Miracle Mile was 88. So there is a four-year difference between the two of them.
0: In yes. Terms of release.
1: Um, yeah, Miracle Mile was
0: finally released September 11th, 1988 at the Toronto Festival of Festivals. Okay. That's from Wikipedia. I don't know if the Toronto Festival of Festivals is actually a thing. I have heard of the Toronto Film Festival. That might, well, who knows? I don't who knows? Know. But, so, uh, but then it came out in May 19th, 1989, to a uh, wide release, and it was uh, critically acclaimed. Um, has a great soundtrack, well, score. Has a great score by Tangerine Dream,
1: who, who it's, scored. It's excellent. I listened to that soundtrack. It's, it's really good. It is. Yeah. Tangerine and it builds. Even just the soundtrack itself, if you listen to it, there's a constant build to it. I mean, Tangerine Dream was just one of those, like, it's a, I guess they're
0: a band technically, but I just know them from their film scores Mm -hmm. and and a lot of 80s music. They Mm -hmm. do a lot of like synthy kind of music. Mm -hmm. I I particularly like their score for To Live and To Die in L.A., Mm -hmm. which is a great movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, speaking of the Twilight Zone going back, I mean,
1: I mean, Miracle Mile was a story that was going to be used for the the movie. Right. Yes. Um, And before Spielberg came on and did Kick the Can instead. Right. Okay. So, I mean... The but jar- that's, that's interesting because... I mean, in the Twilight Zone movie, aren't those all old episodes of the Twilight Zone that are redone? Aren't they all? I f- Except for the opening sequence? They might. I know for sure two of them are.
0: So to- Kick the Can is, and then Terror at like 12,000... And what is.
1: what were the other stories?
0: There's the other one, that terrible one where the, the actor, all those actors died in that right. helicopter. Right, 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 um, What was that? I don't know if that was an original Twilight Zone movie. Do
1: you know what the story you was called? Episodes? I just... Do no. you remember what it was? No, I just okay. know the director, John Landis. <laughs> okay. Oh, it was uh, John Landis. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I mean, you know... It, Okay, but I mean, Miracle Mile is not an old Twilight Zone episode, no. so it's inter- It's weird that they that would be considered, right?
0: I, I I think yeah, I think you're right. Other than like the um, the opening scene of the two guys driving in the mm-hmm. car, one of them is Dan Aykroyd, and the other is Albert. Brooks, I believe. Right. Yes. yes, it is. Mm-hmm. That scared
1: the shit out of me when I saw yeah, it in the Yeah, you want to see something scary? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I screamed in the theater.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we're not. Yeah. So the Twilight Zone influence, like, it, it's it's always there. Yeah. I mean, it's always gonna be there because it's such like ingrained in our zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they keep bringing it back. Mm-hmm. Like every decade, like mm-hmm. needs to have their own Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. I'll stick with the original. Thank you very much, but mm-hmm. that's just me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea where we're going with this. Um, well, do you want to segue into the last of my notes? Please, please, please. So, so the that Pan Pacific Auditorium that we see in Miracle Mile during one of their dates with the. Do you know what I'm talking about? I pointed it out to you. Uh, I said that's 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 yes. the, that's what. That's where Xanadu takes place. It's a huge set piece for Xanadu, actually. Okay. They end up having a disco roller rink uh, inside that building. Uh, and what's what struck me of, intri- of interest is that that structure burned down before Miracle Mile was released. Really? Yeah, and that's a very um, iconic—I hate that word—but a, a very iconic building four Los Angeles, and four movies. Not wow. just Xanadu, but maybe a few others. But yeah, it's kind of telling that it, it burnt to the ground right before Miracle Mile was released. That's scary. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, and I mean, it's it's a shame. I mean, I it's great that Night
0: of the Comet greatly exceeded expectations budget-wise. I, it's a shame that Miracle Mile didn't, but I think it's because... It's an '80s movie, but it was written in the '70s, and it's got a very '70s nihilistic ending. It does. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of, th- but I'm kind of glad that Dejarnet stuck to his guns and kind of said, "This it, is
1: the ending that yeah. I wrote. This is the ending that we're going to do." I mean, it's pretty unapologetic about how it ends. Right. It just and it, and once again, it just ends. It just ends. You know, you don't even see them die.
0: No. And yeah. I,
1: I kind of like Like that. I don't want... I don't... You kind of get
0: attached to these characters. You don't want to see them die. No. But on the other hand, I don't really want to see a happy Hollywood ending where they somehow like managed to survive
1: there's so many movies like that up in the helicopter watching the mushroom cloud and right. that copter shakes around and then get, regains its you know its its footing yeah, in mean, the air <laughs> god forbid that someone like Roland Emmerich or Michael Bay got oh, their Lord. hands was, on this. I hate those what was that 20 what's the one that Emmerich... 2012 20, 20, uh, 2012 right this it's chock full of moments like that where they right. are they're driving away from an explosion, and you know, or they're
0: driving on the highway, and the highway's collapsing and the, right behind they, them. Right, they, and they still, still get outrun. away. Yeah, right, right. I I kind of like this ending. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of
1: I mean, it's real. I mean, it's very real. I mean, Miracle Mile is very real. It is. I mean, and I I, I I had to suspend my disbelief and just go with it more than once. Sure, but, other, but yeah. otherwise, like it's you know it's how it would all kind of unfold. Yeah, I mean I mean yeah, there's got to be a suspension of disbelief, but
0: again, I mean some of the the scenarios that end up, I mean they are pretty realistic to like what would happen,
1: I guess. I mean the whole premise from both movies in my opinion okay are are Ludicrous? Bullshit. Yeah. So I, was, well, I just yeah. want to say, no, now that's this, fine. Is, this is a good time to bring up Mary Warnoff again, who plays Audrey the Scientist in Night of the Comet. Okay. She was asked about Night of the Comet, and this is what she had to say. <laughs> listen, listen to okay. this. Okay. I'm excited. Dot, dot, dot is not a cult movie at all. <laughs> this, this is from her words. Okay. It is a fad movie, quote unquote. What? F-A-B? F-A-D, F-A-D. Fad. Oh, It's a Fad. fad it's a fad movie it will not date very quickly it will date very quickly because it's about valley girls shopping at the mall and the bomb it's not ahead of its time and it's not behind its time it's just a combination of in elements quote unquote so and i and okay I say this and I bring this up and I give it some credence because it's Mary Warnoff and she, she was one of the original Andy Warhol superstars. Oh. We're talking The Factory. Okay. She was there with Andy Warhol, Joe D'Alessandro, Jackie Curtis, Candy Darling, all of Studio that. Studio 54, all that good Well, no, that came later. Oh, That okay. came much later. But, I mean, the original um, Edie, the Edie uh, Sedgwick... All of them, the factory, late 60s, early 70s. She was there. She was in it. She she also did a movie that predates When a Stranger Calls with the similar premise about someone terrorizing people on a phone. Uh, it's during Christmas time. Uh, I think it's called Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Silent Night, Bloody Night. It's okay, Silent Night, Bloody Night may be it. Deadly Night is the different one. That's the axe murdering Santa Claus. Right. So, uh, and then she went on. By 1988, actually, when Miracle Mile came out, 88 or 89, she did a movie called uh, Scenes from a Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, which has a cult following. It's a good good flick. Uh, And she was... Does it have a cult following according to her, though? When is that? When is that
0: quote from? That must have been like right when the movie came out. I don't right? know okay. to tell you the truth. I don't know because how the way it she's is.
1: the way she's talking, it's as if the movie had just come out. Right. Yeah. She and so this is what was going through her head when she was filming it. Okay. Yeah. But in class, scenes from, a, I just want to say, scenes from a class struggle in Beverly Hills. She won awards for her performance in that. Really? Yeah. So she she's she can be quite good. She's in Eating Raoul. You brought that up. She's the female in Eating Raoul. And we get well, Raul. You brought that up is, a, a few days ago. Is so? Um, what's the connection? Because I couldn't find a connection to the flicks. Oh, Raul, the the titular Raul in Eating Raul
0: is Robert Beltran, who is
1: this guy, Hector. Oh. Ah uh, I think he's in scenes from a class struggle in Beverly Hills as really? well. Okay. Yeah. Oh that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. You know they made you know they made a musical an off Broadway musical out of Eating Raul with Adrian Zumed from from One Day at a time. He was the the uh the fix it guy in the apartment complex. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in Greece too. I don't know if you remember he's uh he was like Lorna Luff's boyfriend. I've never seen Grease too, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I will not torture you with that because it's Thank not. You. Yeah, it's. I wouldn't even. does call it have it a, a cult following. I mean, it does, but it's just an, an ironic cult following. Perhaps you know. It's also just so notorious that, as a flop, you know okay. that that um, it kind that kind of eclipses its cult. Uh, it almost know, seems status. like it belongs on this show. Oh, that, well, <laughs> I don't know if I could. That's a dipity doodah flick if okay. I've ever seen one, um, and I'm quoting a, a a former roommate of mine, which she said that I like that <laughs> quote from her, but it definitely <laughs> seems like
0: it was taken like during press for this movie.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that would be her. That would be her. Uh, pretty much standard, cynical take on on it. Sure. I would buy that from her. She knows. She knows the deal. She's she lived through the real underground scene. So here she is making, you know, it's not a big Hollywood movie, but she's seeing Hollywood attempt to make something. uh, And
0: as much as I love it, um, Night of the Comet is a little schlocky. Sure. I mean that I but it, mean but that it's as a compliment. Almost,
1: and it's it's intention is to go there. Oh, absolutely. A huge oh, in yes. Cheek, yes, yes. You know, and this this did inform me when I was writing my my script. Right. Yeah, it's like right. let's keep this let's keep one tongue firmly in cheek no matter how gruesome or horrific things get. Yes. And you have to bounce back to that. And right. they did that. And I think they were saying the actress who um the actress who plays Regina in Night of the Comet was saying that there were people involved behind the scenes that wanted to make it a full-out horror movie, Night of the Comet, but they were able to keep the comedic elements and the, and the you know, quirky Valley Girl, dumbass, you know, remarks in it. Right. Which gives it a buoyancy, you know? Yeah, You're able to a- kind of like keep popping up from the darkness There's that no is way. in in night of the comet
0: right yeah. and i'm i and i th- the original script actually had zo- it had zombie in it the title yeah uh-huh. the original title did yeah um, which I don't know if it's true. Again, I'm going back to the audio th- commentary because he says the zombies were an afterthought. That it is an afterthought. You can
1: tell. Yeah. It's an afterthought when you think about the movie in retrospect.
0: Right. So anyone that gets hung up on the, the zombies, I mean, they're great for what they are, but they're not... I mean, this is not a
1: zombie movie. And um, But, I mean, I, I so, like
0: these two movies as,
1: But it's also interesting that Mary Warnoff calls it, you know, says that this Night of the Comet is about the bomb... When it's actually about a comet, but it really is about that nuclear fear. And the nuclear, that, yes. you know that still is around today. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say too much about what I think about it. But I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a divisive uh, thing, you know, uh, the nuclear fear. I mean, it's like that Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange glove, and the alternate title of that love. is, is a or huge, how I
0: stopped worrying and started learn to love the bomb. That's how a, I how I learned to stop worrying and learn to love the bomb. Something like that. Yes. Right, right, right. And it's so strange I mean,
1: love, not gloves <laughs> And I'm a Kubrick fan. I still haven't seen it either. Yeah, I should be able to get that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, thank you. No problem. <laughs> but I mean, really, like, you yeah. know, nuclear war, nuclear war, nuclear. I mean, still, today, you know, it was I like mean, nuclear weaponry, you know, weapons of mass destruction. We're all going to be obliterated uh, at the push of a button. I mean, and it just you know that hangs over our collective heads. But who, who in their right mind thinks that nuclear war is a fad? I wish it was a well, fad, no, 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 but I no, mean, no, 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 she doesn't say that about nuclear war. She says that about the movie. Oh, she says that right, it's right, not right, a cult right, movie; right, it's right, more right. of a fad movie. Okay, you know. So I mean, she she could be right about that it depends on how you no, look at it it, it is definitely you know? i mean
0: i, I under like di- different circumstances you could definitely kind of replace the comet with a nuclear bomb going off and mm-hmm. just like some survivors in a bomb shelter mm-hmm. i mean you could have the same mm-hmm. premise mm-hmm. i mean everyone and,
1: turning to dust the people getting radiated slowly de- 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 r- degenerating into zombies right or dying or whatever and it just so happened that you know
0: previously to doing this i had just guested on a podcast where we talked about a movie which
1: I just showed you the trailer called The Bedsitting Room, which is about post apocalyptic Britain. Yeah, that that's a hootin' a holler. Oh boy, that would be a good one to do. Yeah, so yeah. we might have to do that, but it's I like mean Monty Python I- takes tackles the end of the world
0: it's like monty python crossed with a mad max apocalyptic yeah. wasteland yeah,
1: they're just, like in that trailer they're just on
0: junk yeah, the whole movie. yeah well, it was often, just sitting but, yeah. on junk so i mean and that movie came out in 1969 and i mean and then dr strangelove came out in somewhere in the 70s i want to say or in the late 60s but and i then, mean I and mean,
1: then i mentioned uh um um oh oh don't don't escape me now uh, what's the one with Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner and Fred Astaire, who was up, I think, for an Oscar for it? Um, on the Beach, not on the waterfront, On the Beach. Right. Which was a novel and then a Stanley Kramer movie. Uh, it's in black and white, but it's about post-apocalyptic n- nuclear war. Same type of thing. And that's from, you know, as I said, it's black and white. It's from right. the you know, early 60s, So, I, I mean, th- these themes are, are kind of, I mean, and I think that
0: kind of... I mean, the films are great by... Uh, on their own, but I think that kind of what helps fuel some of the cult appeal is the fact that we're this is still an issue today. I mean,
1: it's still a purported issue today. Let's not get into it. Oh okay. much.
0: <laughs> so I mean, I, let, we're going to wrap up this episode by talking a little bit
1: about your unfilmed, well, un. Unfil- is it finished? The screenplay? I no, that part of it. that's all. That for the most part, there is another scene that I didn't send you, which is a a, a little more pedestrian. But yeah, I wrote I wrote one scene uh, where uh, a girl, you know, after her her friend dies, goes out into the woods and sings a song called "Today the Earth Stood Still" that I wrote, um, where she confronts uh, basically uh, the heavens, you know, with with this dilemma of the apocalypse. But in addition to that, uh, I wrote an opening sequence that th- I'm so glad you just you get it because so many people don't get it. And uh, it works. The opening sequence is the the characters, uh, our lead characters getting together and seeing. Um, yeah, go I ahead. was just going to say one
0: something in particular that I like is that you've got not only are we, we talking 86.
1: Yeah, it's Christmas. It's Christmas time in 86. And the world is heating up. And no one's on the streets, you know. Everyone's scared and at then, home, and isolating. Sound familiar? So and I, Chris is four years old. And what? <laughs> and Chris is four years old. <laughs> and Chris is four years old. I'm sorry, Chris. It's all going to be over. No, no! You're no. never going to have a childhood or a teenagehood <sighs> or an adulthood.
0: Yeah, maybe it's yeah. better off. Then. That's fine. <laughs> but but no. I just
1: love these um this this very interesting motif
0: that you've you've woven here. And there's there's a song that you. Was, takes place in a graveyard,
1: right? Well, yeah, they the the two char- the two lead characters, one of the two of the lead characters uh get into their cars, their respective cars to meet each other uh on a hill where they're going to survey what's happening in the skies, Right. the invasion basically. And so they're singing this song uh should we even read some of the lyrics on, Why not? online? Do you have it there? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, by doing this, we are copywriting this just so everybody knows. Do uh, you want the Today the Earth still, still No, no, no. Go to the opening sequence if you can. This Because the same, what they are singing ends up being the same song that uh, the rowdy group in the cemetery are singing. So when they go to the hill, it's actually a cemetery to go and look at the skies. This, this comes from the small town that I lived in as a teenager. Up on the hill of our town was a cemetery, a huge cemetery. So it would be, be the perfect place to go and see an alien invasion. Uh, so the two characters get into the car and they sing. Let's see. Let's see here. Oops, sorry, sorry. We got a feeling, everybody got a feeling, that we're not alone, we're not on our own anymore. I got a feeling, everybody got a feeling, that this is the end, don't try to pretend anymore. And then let's go down a little bit. Let's burn up this town. Let's get high and get down. And when we're all done, we will never be found. Break the law if we want. Lose our minds if we want. There's nothing to lose, so lose it all if you want. I love it. Thank you. Now, when they get to the cemetery, they the female protagonist has been trying to contact her boyfriend to no avail. And... When, they get, when she and her friend get to the cemetery and they're looking at the skies, they see a rowdy group that's approaching them who are vandalizing the graves. And the, the group is singing, break the law if we want, lose our minds if we want, there's nothing to lose, so lose it all if, if you want. Same thing that they had sung earlier. And then they go on to sing... Get our kicks how we want. Double dip if we want. Down and strip if you want. Suck my mm if you want. Mm. And that's when uh, the female protagonist sees that it's her boyfriend in the gang. And uh, at that point, she starts to. He said, "He's what does he say to her?" He says, "I'm in the hey, grave." Yeah. Hey, lover, wanna <laughs> fuck in a grave? And she said, "What did you just say to me?" And the and the group starts becoming orgiastic in this uh, way that spills blood. As well as you know seeking carnage uh on every level of the flesh, and at that point the female protagonist screams, and we cut to the next scene where two girls are good, are playing around uh in a in the woods, and they're eventually gonna see an alien face to face so yeah, man, I was truly inspired when i when I did this and right it and would... I,
0: I see a lot of night of the comet,
1: yeah. Here. Right, the way it's balancing, um, you know, humor, humor with these, these, yeah, these heavy
0: topics. Yes, yes. yes so, yes, um, yes.
1: I, it wouldn't be. It could be done. It could be done on a on a small budget, especially if, uh, yeah, especially if the singing is live and the and the. I, I don't want to give away too much. So, yeah, anyway. we we, we got to keep some mm-hmm. some secrets here. We mm-hmm. gave you enough of a taste. Mm-hmm.
0: If um you're you're listening to this and you're interested in producing Andrew's script, yeah. well, contact him <laughs> or contact me and I'll get a hold of him. Um, but uh, we're gonna wrap up this this '80s double feature, our '80s apocalyptic, de- Armageddon esque. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah. Um, Night of the Comet and Miracle Mile both.
1: Two great movies. Um, it's a good double feature. It is mm-hmm. because you, you, I mean, and I would recommend probably Miracle Mile first yes. since it's leading up to it. I was gonna, I, I yeah. was gonna
0: say, great double feature because I mean, immediately from the down that you get from the ending of Miracle Mile.
1: You can lighten things up. You can lighten things with up. in Night you, of the you Comet. You get
0: a... Sem- I mean, given the circumstances, we kind of get the happiest of endings as we could with Night of the Comet. Sure. We get the nuclear family kind of back together. Yeah. Mom, dad, the two kids. Mm-hmm. She's teaching them good manners about not crossing against the light. Mm-hmm. And then we get Arkham
1: showing up. Is it, the, isn't that nuclear family? Yeah. Did you say nuclear? Maybe. Nuclear, nuclear family post-nuclear fallout right <laughs> didn't george w bush mix the two up at one point I think yeah he did. I th- and then quail misspelled <laughs> potato
0: but i mean and, and, and that's your politicians for you but there's there's so much going on in both these movies that we could they could easily have been um episodes on their own but i i like andrew said this is a great double feature do mm-hmm. miracle mile even, even though night of the comic came out first i would say do miracle mile first and then it, it it almost kind of like you could trim like the first couple minutes off of Night of the Comet and like almost pick up.
1: Yeah, like you it, certainly uh, could. It, it
0: almost, it, I mean, it, you almost don't need the comet anymore. You kind of just get like the ending of Miracle Mile. We might have to splice those together and if we can get the rights cheap enough for our MGM, that'll be the cult film
1: release. We'll, yeah, we'll splice um.
0: them <laughs> It'll be Night of the Miracle Mile.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, uh, but we thank you so much for listening. Again, we are on every major podcast platform, um, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all that good stuff. Interact with us. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> Interact with us in the Facebook group on, um, on Facebook, Cult Film Companion. Hit me up on Twitter, at Cult Film Comp and uh, send us your movie recommendations. On Twitter, Instagram, Cult Film Companion, all that good stuff. And uh, check us out on Blind Knowledge and on Newsly. We thank you all for tuning in to this deep dive into the 80s, this somewhat neon soaked era that we love so much. And yeah, keep it cult, everyone. Good night.